As I prepare to wrap season one of Rachel Thexton Connects, I have two amazing guests left to present. The first is communications and public relations professional, Renu Bakshi. Renu has been in the communications PR field for about 13 years. Prior to that, she spent well over 20 years in journalism, spending much of that time in the anchor chair at CTV News. Renu specializes in crisis communications and media training and has a wealth of knowledge and experience. Our conversation is fantastic. And although many may say, why would you have a competitor on the podcast? I don't consider her a competitor. We work together. We share insight. We share intel. There's plenty of work to go around, as Renu would say. And I am thrilled to welcome another very talented and wonderful human being and PR professional, Renu Bakshi to Rachel Vexton Connects. Perfect. So I am excited. Today is a unique day. I have Renu Bakshi on the podcast and it's unique because I'm also a PR practitioner. Renu is a very talented one herself. And it's just, a, I think, a really neat opportunity for two, uh, sorry to be, uh, if this is, sounds egotistical, but two leading PR professionals from Vancouver to get together and chat about our field. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me, Renu. Thanks. Why don't we call ourselves mavens? <laughs> well, let's do it. I love that. <laughs> I always say small but mighty, right? Because we we don't have the big agency, but we've got the power and the relationships and the experience. <laughs> yes. Boutique firms like ours, you know, uh, consultancies offer much more hands-on approach than an agency can. We are the person, the senior level person doing the work. We're not signing the account and then pawning it off to a junior. We do the work. Yes, that's key. That is key. And that is, I think, you know, agencies have their place with, you know, large, very, very large projects where there might, you know, maybe there's a need for a ton of people to be on board. But I always recommend uh, independent contractors because of just what you've said. So I want to rewind things a bit because you started your career in journalism. I studied it, never practiced. You did extensively. So you started your career as a journalist. You spent many years in the anchor chair with CTV News uh, doing journalism. So did you enjoy that? Uh, tell me a bit about it. Journalism is a career that I, I uh, thought about as a youngster, but I never thought that I would pursue because in the South Asian culture, there was always this feeling you know, of traditional careers. But as a child, my parents would tell me later in later years that when Sesame Street was on and Kermit the Frog would report, remember when he had that reporter character? Yes. And he would report from the Three Little Pigs house or report from whatever news was unfolding at, on Sesame Street. I used to grab my mom's wooden spoon and I would mimic Kermit the Frog. And so I think journalism was coursing through my veins from birth. And mm -hmm. I ended up pursuing journalism uh, and turning my back to the more traditional careers that you know, I guess the community would expect from me. And I'm really glad that I did. I Journalism is one of those things that's every day is a unique day. Every day I was lucky enough to witness history unfolding. And I was lucky enough to write about it and share it 
you know, uh, yes. with our audience and all the emotions that go with it and the storytelling and, and honing my skills as a writer. I loved all of it. And then I had an opportunity to become an anchor. Uh, look, CTV gave me this opportunity. Tom Walters, he was the news director. He was going to take a new role with CTV, leaving Vancouver. And before he left, he tapped me for the anchor desk. And wow. I'm so grateful they did because it gave me a different experience of journalism. I was now hands-on producing and writing a newscast. That's where I really started to understand, you know, making the messages work uh, in a way, you know, and delivering them in a way in short bursts so that somebody would stay tuned in to the story that was that uh, a journalist was about to tell. Uh, and I got to do both. I got to be a top story frontline reporter and an anchor. It was wonderful. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. The name and reputation that I, I gained for myself at CTV is what helped me launch my career as a public relations consultant. Yes, you are definitely recognizable and, and, and I'm sure it helped for sure. Um, but tell me about that transition. I mean, when you transitioned, it was 2010, correct? Yes. When you turned around that time. So that it wasn't as common at that point because journalism wasn't in the same dire straits it is currently. It wasn't as common to transition from journalism to PR communications. So how was that switch? Why'd you make it? How did it go? Was it smooth? Bumps in the road? How, tell me a little bit about the transition to PR. I, if I'm being frank, I was not happy at CTV for the last couple of years that I was there. I didn't like um, the direction it was going. I don't mean like the cutbacks and that sort of thing. I just didn't like the editorial direction. Some of the decisions that were being made didn't sit well with me. And simultaneously, my mom, uh, who was young, was diagnosed with never smoker lung cancer, and she was dying. And I made a decision to leave CTV while she was alive so she could see that I had left. And so she could she could feel the same hope I was feeling for my future. And I, I really needed her to see that. Uh, so her pending death precipitated my decision to leave CTV. Uh, I left CTV March 17th, 2010. My mom died June 6th, 2010. Didn't give us a lot of time together. Oh, right now. After I'm she sorry. died. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. See, I get emotional still talking about it. Good Lord. Um, well, the words I always I just the words sorry don't even mean a thing. So but I just wanted to acknowledge my condolences. I appreciate that. Thank you. And yeah, after she passed away, I didn't do a whole lot for about a year. I just sort of I regrouped. You know, there was these were two identities that were gone. My mom was my identity and CTV was my identity. Uh, I was I was a journalist for 21 years. And so I was then looking down a path of nothing. Uh, I was looking down a path of, okay, so I've lost my identity. What is my identity? I'm not making an income right now. How do I pay my mortgage? Uh, what parts of my life were missing when I was married to my my career, which I was, my family will absolutely acknowledge that I was married to my career. And uh, I started to rebuild from nothing, just myself as a person. Uh, I started to understand what my likes and dislikes were. I started to understand what I wanted out of my life and started to pursue those things. I started to align myself with my mama, what my mama was wanted for me. And I found myself going down the path of consultancy. It happened when you and I both know Gary Pooney. He's an urban um, planner in the city. Yes. He asked me if I would come in and uh, help him with a communication strategy 
for a company that would become my first client, PCI Development. Okay. So I ended up doing a communication strategy and it, it was um, challenging, but easy in a way because it was everything I know, but in a different, applying it differently. And it was fun. And, and that's when my consultancy was born. Yes. So Um, this this, it's, it's relationships, but it's also something about you, Renu, I think your ability to adapt, uh, change and take the strengths of what you've learned. Do you think? Because not everyone can do that. Not every journalist can make that smooth transition. 100% adaptability. Is, is the number one human quality for survival. The human trait for survival is adaptability. And I recently was in Switzerland doing a workshop about post-traumatic growth. So finding the growth and the growth opportunities through uh, adversity um, and finding the positives. And, and, uh, and that's what I was able to do with, you know, people who helped along the way. I didn't do it alone. There was a lot of people who assisted and helped. The opportunity that was opened for me by Gary and PCI. And from there, and I tell a funny story, you know, um, and PCI is still a client today, all these years later. Amazing. Lovely, wonderful people. And um, it's funny because I was at Italian Kitchen dining one night and it was the night of the Prince concert. And Ryan Beatty was sitting at a table nearby and I want to say it was 2012. And I said to my friends, I said, that's Ryan Beatty. I'd never met him before. And I said, I really want to work with him. And so I actually made my way over to his table. And I I said, I'm sorry to interrupt. And I introduced myself. And he said, I know who you are from CTV. And I said, I really want to work with you. And the very next day, I was on the phone with his team. Amazing. He became a longtime client. And yes, I think it would, I mean, in addition to your own personality traits, which I just mentioned, you know, people do see and and not necessarily Ryan Beatty, but anyone in the public, in the business world, whoever it may be, they recognize news anchors and they respect them for the most part. You know, they're in the news chair, they're delivering the day's news, the top news. Um, and so I would think that having that, you know, face that people know would 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 help. And then, of course, you have the conversations and you show what you actually do know. Exactly. That's why CTV always will hold a special place in my heart. It's because I had a brand behind me and my name and that made me recognizable. And then, of course, I had to prove myself, which I did. Uh, And having that recognition absolutely helped. What else helped? I mean, I have to emphasize this. It also helped that I left television at the pinnacle of my career and on my own. I was not pushed out or forced out. And I left at the pinnacle. Why would a news anchor leave CTV. So I left my first career from a position of strength. And I believe that people respected that when I came into my second career. And it was the timing meant something. Uh, Now leads me into my next question, actually. It's such a tough time for journalists. Uh, I am a huge, huge fan of them, not only because I rely on them for the work I do, but because I need the work that they do. And the news industry, as we all know, is uh, really hurting, uh, especially because of recent digital bills and social media companies not uh, being as kind as they could be. I'll say it nicely. Uh, But moving towards the communication side, we are seeing more journalists. What would your advice be to them? I have seen some who have a real struggle with it because they do not like pitching media. 
because they remember the poor PR people. And there are poor PR people out there who just simply, you know, provide those pitches that aren't timely, aren't relevant, aren't appropriate. And they really struggle pitching their formal peers. So what would your advice be to those transitioning from journalism to PR communications? Two pieces of advice. So if people are, if somebody's a journalist right now today, please hone your writing skills. That's first and foremost. Writing is so important. Yes. An ability, uh, a nose for news is important. So when you make the transition, and it's not a question of if these days, it's now when, when you make the transition, don't stop being a journalist. Mm -hmm. My pitches, I don't pitch a lot. Journalists will tell you they don't hear from me often. I, I'm, I'm different in public relations in that I, I stay away from marketing public relations. If I have a client that has a story that's newsworthy, I'm happy to work with them. And I write my press pitches as a journalist would write a story. So my press pitches read like news stories. Yes. So journalists making that transition, it's still journalism. It's just a different medium. It's still journalism, though. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's it's the the evolution, really. I have people asking me all the time about, you know, can you do this press release project for us, which really, in my opinion, it doesn't exist that way anymore. A press release is, to me, is more of a backgrounder, unless we're making a, a massive announcement, a government announcement, whatever it may be. Uh, I feel as though a press release is more of a backgrounder. And the pitch is really where, and the relationships, of course, and having that real feel for the news, where the news is, is where you get that success with, with a, a journalist. Do you agree? I agree 100%. Yeah, relationships are important. And just having that nose for news and, uh, you know, if, if you find that news value in a project and then you hustle, which we do, right? We hustle for mm -hmm. our clients. Um, it makes it easier. But if you're just, uh, you know, like you said, that other side of PR where, you, you know, pitching at the wrong time or, you know, people do who don't get it. If you can separate yourself from that bunch, then reporters will pay attention. Yeah, relationships definitely are always something that I bring up in conversations about PR. Uh, one of the most important qualities I recommend people look for in a good PR service provider. Uh, you clearly have those via your experience in journalism and in PR. Were any of your former colleagues in the news world put off by your new role on the other side, on the PR communication side? Or was it a pretty, you know, did you have a pretty smooth uh, switch and, and keep those relationships uh, uh, strong? I mean, my former colleagues poked fun at me, but just in jest, right? I mean, yes. you went to the dark side, Manu. You went to the dark side. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, actually, this is the light side. Journalism can be pretty dark. And I said, now I'm in the I'm in the business of construction, not destruction. And that's how I honestly felt then. And that's how I feel today. Um, the spin in journalism was killing me. I, you know, that's what I was talking about, the direction. The spin was just getting worse. And I was uneasy with it. And I just felt, you know, with the new career and what I was doing, I felt it was more constructive than what I had left behind. 
So in jest, yeah, my friends joked about it, but everybody was proud to see me land. Again, like you said, I did it at a time when not a lot of journalists were doing it. And so for former colleagues to see me land on my feet and do it on my own, like in terms of my own company, uh, they were proud of me and they still are. And in fact, some of them, when they left journalism, contacted me to give them, you know, to ask my advice on how to make that transition, how to set up their own independent consultancy. And I'm so happy to help journalists do that. It just, nothing makes me happier uh, when it comes to journalists leaving and saying, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it on my own. I love it. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, it's funny because we're in PR usually, as you know, the ones that are um, described as the spin doctors. And you say it on your website, I say it by mouth all the time that I do not do spin. So uh, I agree with you. If you're looking for uh, a spin doctor, then look elsewhere because that's not what what I do and what we do. Uh, It's more about really, you know, finding where are the stories and we're storytellers and and, uh, finding out where that news is and the the timely place and person to have it. Uh, You specialize in media training and crisis management to key areas of what we do in PR um, and also to two challenging areas and, and and ones that you know junior level PR practitioners uh, cannot take on um, can you talk a little bit about that renew the media training and crisis management why choose to specialize there and can you tell me a bit about what you're working on lately Media training, uh, specializing in that was a no-brainer. And over the years, I created a very specific, targeted, proprietary workshop that helps clients move beyond the media basics. So, uh, you know, a lot of clients that I train will say, hey, we've had training before. And I'll say, not like mine. (laughs) And when I go in and and they finish the session, they say, you're right, yours was different. What we learned in our previous training was more like how to stand and, you know, uh, how to bridge and pivot and that sort of thing. But, you know, you taught us more in addition to that stuff, which, you know, is for me after the fact, but you taught us more about messaging and and how messages land and how to make them land. And um, you gave us tips and tricks that only somebody who worked for so long in the field would know these these absolutely important tips and tricks and what to look for when, you know, a reporter's trying to catch us in something or give us an, uh, trying to get an aha moment out of us. And uh, uh, so specializing in media training was a no brainer for me. And crisis management also was a no brainer because let's face it, as a journalist, I was in crisis every day. That's what I covered. I was on that side of the war room every day. And then I would be interviewing people in crisis. And even as a journalist, I'd be like, okay, that message is not authentic or whoa, that message just has so many holes in it and leaves them way more vulnerable. And I'm going to pounce on that as a journalist. And I would. And I would corner them and then they would have to issue another statement and another. And that's the game we would play because I'm like, you're not getting your messaging right. And and you're exposing yourself. You're continuing to expose yourselves. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, getting on this side of the war room as a crisis manager, I was like, hey, you know what? I don't think anybody can do it better than me. I've been on both sides. I know how to stay ahead of the the media and I know how to connect dots. I know how to mitigate risk. Uh, and I and I know how to plug holes in, in your statement. And I write statements in a way where I reduce the opportunity for the media to take them out of context. Yes. 
And so those became my specialties. I've now created two workshops around crisis management. One I already talked to you about, uh, I mentioned earlier, the one that I launched in Switzerland about post-traumatic growth, finding advantage in adversity and how to not just survive a crisis, but thrive in one. And then the other one is basically, the, the other one's called, um, your brand is in crisis and minutes are money. Are you ready? And that workshop, I, I train clients how to prepare for a crisis because, um, you know, the the crisis is never the worst thing. It's being caught unprepared. Yes. Yes, the reaction. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, or lack reaction, of one. Being, totally. Yeah, you know, be proactive, not reactive. Um, you know, uh, uh, don't have a reaction, have a response. You can only have a response if you had a chance to think about it. So the, these workshops empower clients to start looking at their policies, procedures, operations, all of it, and checking for vulnerabilities and seeing what's at, what's a high potential for, for issue or crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that, that, that makes sense. And, and crisis can be challenging. I don't know what your experience is. We're, we're two d- different personalities. Um, both have our, our, our strengths. Uh, I have experienced in my career, I've been doing it now for about 23 years, uh, pushback sometimes in the crisis space uh, related to just really keeping uh, the client, keeping their heels in as to how they want to um, move ahead or not respond. And I always say the story and the narrative will go on with or without you. You have to lead this narrative. What is the biggest mistake, Renu, that you feel companies, organizations make regarding crisis or impending crisis? You just mentioned it. It's the say nothing plan. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't, that doesn't work uh, for anybody. I say to my clients, I didn't coin the phrase I'm about to say. Somebody did, but I use it all the time. And I wish I knew who coined it because I'd love to give attribution. It's uh, tell it first, tell it fast, tell it all. It was me. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't <laughs> me. It, it wasn't me. I wish it was. Okay. Tell it it's first. Thing, it? Tell it first. Tell, tell it, it fast. First, tell, tell it all. Fast, tell it all. And uh, when I put it that way, and I have other things that, uh, you know, that I explained to a client about why we need to get ahead of this, I'm, uh, you know, 98% of the time I've been able to convince a client that we have to say something. And I've been like this year, well, since COVID, I've been so busy with crisis and issues and crisis management. It's been, it's been crazy. First, it wasn't, it was the just responding to the pandemic and the uncertainty, but after that, beyond the pandemic, I think that's when people understood they have to be prepared for crisis or if they're in crisis, they need to have somebody help them through it. I think that's one thing that came out of the pandemic. I am so busy as a crisis manager these days. Sometimes I wonder when I can come up for air and I'm working with different industries, different problems. You know, some of it is external stuff. Some of it is internal stuff. Uh, You know, something that, uh, you know, an employee has said or done. Other things are something that's happened externally that's impacted a a company and their, and their bottom line or their operations. Uh, And uh, it's insane actually, just how busy crisis management is right now. And I'm, I'm happy and I'm, I'm working with great clients. Just this morning at 6.30, everybody knows I get up at, at an unusually early time. And um, a client with whom I just finished a crisis management um, situation called this morning bright and early just to say thanks. 
That's amazing. Yeah, a week after the crisis, he called, knowing I'm up early and my phone is available, um, you know, to people early. And he called, uh, he said, I just called to say thank you so much. We could not have done this without you. Mm -hmm. There is, for anyone who who is not aware of, of what we are describing when we are describing crisis or issues management, it's related to um, the reputation of the organization, the individual, the corporation. Um, and often it's challenging. And Renu, I think you'd probably agree. It's uncomfortable for clients. And therefore, sometimes that's a reasoning behind why they want to avoid it. Um, but it's the worst possible decision they can make. Uh, they have to they have to face it head on. And so just wanted to clarify that for any listeners who who aren't familiar uh, with, with crisis. Well, Michael McCain of McCain Foods, remember way back when uh, there was the tainted meat situation where a number of people died? Yes. And he recorded, this was before social media was really big. So he recorded a video that, that was posted on YouTube where he expressed his sorrow uh, for the deaths and relayed to the public the actions that McCain Foods took to remove meat uh, from sh- Canadian store shelves and and uh, what they were doing to ensure that this listeria outbreak never happens again. He took the bull by the horns and he led that crisis masterfully. And it was the tell it first, tell it fast, tell it all approach. And he did it masterfully. After it was over, he did a lot of interviews about his uh, handling of the crisis. And he said famously, there are two advisors I did not pay attention to. And that's my accountants and my lawyers. (laughs) The biggest challenge I have is if I'm working with a client who's also got an old school lawyer working on the same file, that's my biggest challenge because old school lawyers say we can't say anything because yes. this is going to put us you know, in a position of liability or it's going to be before the courts or it is before the courts. And I say, no, there's ways to say things. And this is where the specialty skills really come in. Not everybody can be a crisis manager and do it well, but there's a way that we can say things publicly where we don't compromise legal integrity, but we do win that court of public opinion. And that's the thing. You work in the court of law. I work in the court of public opinion. Let me do what I do. And I promise I will not compromise the integrity of the court of law. And we work together to make sure the lawyer is comfortable with the statement. But the biggest challenge I would face is uh, old school lawyers. There's a lot of um, um, new school lawyers who understand and often will call me and say, hey, I have a client in crisis. We need you on the file. Um, But it's the old school ones that are a real challenge. And, um, you know, and I face that challenge regularly. Okay. Okay. Yes. I think, you know, definitely more crisis. I have also noticed it. Uh, I don't specialize in the same way. I've certainly been providing it for a long time and I love doing it. I think I'm very capable, but it's not something that I promote as being my, my, you know, my area. Uh, but I do a lot of it lately, a lot more of it lately as well. And I think social media has also played into things because, you know, Anybody can be chatting about you, your brand, your organization, what happened. The dialogue goes on 24-7. You know, it's not just by the nine to five as it may have been, you know, years and years ago. Uh, Do you think social media plays into things? Eight minutes. That's all we have now to respond. Eight minutes. If your crisis is playing out on social media, you have eight minutes to respond before it becomes an inferno. 
I answer my phone right away. So this is the big difference between, I'm not trying to promote myself over agencies, but when you're in crisis and you call an agency, it's going to take a long time for somebody to get on your file. And in the meantime, your brand is on fire. Yes. So I help people mobilize quickly. I manage fear. I mitigate risk. I do it fast. Those are the skills that are required. Very specialty skills. Yes. And how do you feel about, you know, I like to have a very, I mean, it, it has to be brief because every crisis is different, although the basics are the same, but I like to have a a crisis plan in place so that if something comes up where it's even a sniff of crisis, that the organization, association, whatever it may be, knows exactly what to do and to do it quickly. And that is obviously contact someone like you or myself. Yeah. And that's why these workshops, I'm so, I'm so happy that people are signing up for the workshops, you know, corporate retreats and that sort of thing, because they're understanding the, that they need to be prepared and you can't fly by the seat of your pants in a crisis. So for them to be thinking about preparedness and then bringing me in, we're all thinking, uh, you know, the same and we're all singing from the same songbook. And it's just getting that team mentality, you know, and I I say to people leadership uh, in crisis is a team sport. And so we got to get everybody on board early and adopt that mentality that if there's a crisis, here's what we need to do. The last thing you want is you're in the middle of a crisis or at the start of one, and suddenly you decide, "Uh oh, we better do something, but you have no plan. Half the people in the room are saying, we shouldn't say anything. And half the people are saying, we we should make a statement. Mm -hmm. Well, then nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're stuck. Yeah. So it's you to have that plan. Oh, yeah. Even just have that mentality, just just that tell it first, tell it fast, tell it all. You know, would you rather be would you rather be making a statement where you are coming out with the facts first? Or do you want to make a statement where all you're doing is correcting misinformation that other people have put out there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think much of this apprehension comes from the fear that media will misquote, that media will misunderstand, take things out of context. My response to that is that uh, if you're trained properly, you know how to deliver that message in a way that that will not happen, um, that it's it's almost impossible, if not impossible to happen. Um, but I think a lot of it is the fear of of media misquoting and misrepresenting. Thoughts on that? hundred percent. I would say, you know, you you can't trust the media. And so that's not in your control. So what is in your control? What's in your control is your response. So you got to mount the best response possible and know that you tried your best. You can't control media outcomes. Yes. But like I said, I I try my best. I have, you know, I don't want to give away trade secrets, but, um, you know, I have a way of writing where I try to minimize that opportunity for the media to take it out of context. Yeah, I agonize over words. There's specific words I agonize over when I'm writing. And it's just, I mean, the labor involved with thinking about words and how they land is, you know, again, it's a specialty skill. It's, um, you know, it's not something that every public relations practitioner out there, you know, can or should try to do. Um, you know, I'm not a social media specialist, so I don't pitch that as part of my, you know, offering. It's it's not my area. Right. Um, so I try I try to be, you know, a master of some rather than none. 
Isn't that key though? I mean, I I just think that's so important that for any profession, recognize what you rock at and let drive it home and let the ones who are great at what they do drive it home and work as a team. You know, it, it's these this competitiveness, this ego-based mentality that prevents us from having success as individuals and companies and clients from having success themselves. It's unfortunate when that happens. It is unfortunate. I, you know, recently that I, I got wind that there was people who believe that we're competitors trying to get my proposals and my programs, mm-hmm. like, you know, behind the scenes. And I was mad for about five seconds. And then I was like, you know what, if they want to spend their energy doing that, uh, I should be flattered. And I mean, I've, I've um, copyrighted my work. Like my, my programs are proprietary. Gosh knows I've spent years creating them. But I was like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about that. There's enough work for everybody to go around. If somebody wants to be negative, let them, that's not in my control. What is in my control is as who I want to be. And that's, you know, somebody who's positive. You and I have, as I mentioned in one of my social media posts, or I was responding to yours on LinkedIn, you and I have always shared a very mutual respect and love for one another. You entrusted me with two of your prized clients because you had to just deal with a family matter for a little while. Mm-hmm. And it, if you were competitive, if it was ego-based, you never would have relinquished any sort of control of any client to, let's just say, I'm a competitor. Right. You never would have done that. But you don't play from that position, and nor do I. I, uh, you know, other independent consultants like us would tell you that I constantly refer business out. I've probably sent people your way, just like you have sent people my way. I don't hoard business. If I'm busy, I'll I'll refer out. Or if it's not really my fit, I refer it to people who would might have seen me as competition. And then they're like, wow, Renu just referred somebody to me. And I'm like, yeah, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of work to go around. And it shouldn't come from a position of ego. It should come from a place of abundance. I agree. Yep, I agree. And there's, uh, you know, unfortunately, within our industry here in Vancouver and in any city, any market, there exists agencies. I mean, I think it's especially with agencies, but it's also with independence. It's with everyone. You know, the human condition is the human condition. Um, But uh, I think working, not working in silos, working together, being positive, you know, do do what you do best, uh, and and let someone else who does what they do best do their thing, and 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 then it rocks, right? So, um, that's that's how I do things too, and I think that's great that we're aligned that way. We always have been. I love that. I want to talk a little bit about analytics, uh, because they're they're challenging, in my opinion, in PR. Uh, measuring success and results is important for clients because, of course, in PR, as you mentioned, and I agree, we do not have control. Uh, We have the best control we can and the more experienced relationships, et cetera, you have, the more control, but you do not have ultimate control. You never will. Uh, And that does make uh, clients uh, somewhat uneasy at times. Um, so showcasing your, you know, successes and the analytics and the, you know, really how you were able to achieve success is key. But I believe it's an imperfect science. We can do a fair estimate of reach, um, but there's there's a lot of imperfections there. I could go on and on and on. What are your thoughts on analytics and and sh- measuring and showcasing success? I don't do analytics for exactly the reason you mentioned. 
Uh, I don't do it. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of their time. It doesn't really say anything. My only measure, the only measure that I provide, but it's also obvious to the client is the tone of a story. Yes. So if I feel like we got a fair and adequate shake in a story, that's a measure of success. You know, we can sit here and provide there. Okay, well, if you had bought an ad and you got that much space, then this coverage is worth $25,000. And we can do that. But as you said, it's imperfect. My measure of success is, did we get a voice in the story and was it fair? How prominently did we display in the story? You know, did they use photos? Didn't they? It's just simple things like that. Yeah. No, I, I, and I think it's great. Clients. Those are my favorite clients too. You know, they're the clients that don't put a lot of uh, credence in the numbers, but do in the tone and um, maybe in the volume of coverage, but not in that value of like that advertising value equivalency. And those are my favorite clients that they understand that it's more about uh, you know, how did we come across? Yes, no, I agree. And we can put the big numbers there and uh, we'll put them the best we can via what we read, but it's not going to be, in my opinion, uh, very accurate. So, but, but, you know, there are some senior leaders who insist on it and it, it you know, that's just a, a mentality that comes from perhaps those who don't have as much of an understanding of public relations, maybe certain marketing areas. Um, and I try to do my best to work with those clients. Some of them are fantastic companies and individuals. Um, but yeah, it is definitely an imperfect science and a million companies out there try to convince you otherwise. But I, I think Renu and I will both agree that, uh, you cannot measure, um, with numbers, the value of what we do. Let's talk about the behind the scenes hustle because, you know, speaking to the money that goes into advertising, uh, you know, advertising has its place. Sponsored content, in my opinion, has its place. Definitely paid partnerships, whatever they may be. But, you know, obviously earned coverage is what I focus mostly on, uh, some paid, but mostly earned, uh, you as well. And, you know, there is a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes uh, that clients do not see. Um, And I think sometimes uh, a lack of understanding as to the work and the years and years of relationship building and experience and all of that valuable Uh, those valuable pieces that go into the success that they will eventually achieve at the end of the campaign. Um, Do you see that with clients, kind of a misunderstanding or a lack of value? They're willing to pay a lot for the advertising, but they hesitate at the smaller, not smaller budgets, but smaller than the huge advertising budgets that they're they're willing to pay. Are you seeing that? A couple of things I'll say is um, I've never done a paid peace, sponsorship, partnership, ever. Okay. Uh, I think the journalist in me is a little bit too pure. Yeah. The other reason is if a story, if, if something isn't newsworthy, then I have trouble. If something isn't newsworthy, then maybe somebody else is a better fit than I am. Yeah. For a client. Because that would fall more into marketing in my books. Yes. And also. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so that's marketing to me. So I'll be like, hey, talk to your marketing team. Um, the other thing is, I said earlier, I don't pitch a lot. 
and I don't. Uh, if a reporter, if me, if a newsroom hears from me, it's it's rare. The reason is a lot of what I do is I work on other communication avenues with clients. So I'll do some internal work. I'll do some, um, uh, you know, any any other type of communication action that's required. Like I also do, you know, in crisis management, I'm also the one designing the actions a company's taking. It's not just what we're going to say, but it's also the actions and designing that whole plan. Like, um, you know, there's been a death on a construction site. Well, here's what we need to do. We need to um, stop work. We need to, and I'll actually implement those actions as well. So uh, media doesn't hear from me a lot. Mm-hmm. <sighs> to your point about being cha- it's challenging to convince some clients about the value of public relations, you're right, it is. What clients need to understand is that, and this is funny because this is the line that actually got John Stavell of Reliance Properties to hire me, okay? Okay, <laughs> because I, I think my he, pen ready. He was questioning, yes, get it ready. He was questioning the value of PR as well after having a, a, a not a very good experience with an agency. Yeah. He had started questioning the value of PR. This is going back many years. So I was doing a workshop that he attended and I said, there's three streams of story. There's marketing, sales, and public relations, and only one of them is credible. And I said, and credibility is what's going to sell your project. Yes. He he um, uh, he had to leave the workshop early. As he left, he just tapped my arm and he said, you're hired. That's I a true story. Love, I love that, Renu. That's amazing. That's, these are two companies, and I've been very fortunate. They understand that PR has value. So these are clients that understand that I that communication is much more than just media outreach. No, for sure. Definitely. You're fortunate to have uh, those long-term clients. And I, I always am so very pleased when a company uh, has an understanding or is willing to discuss it with me in a way that's open-minded so that I can explain it to them clearly. Um, because, you know, it's always so unfortunate when you are working with a, a marketing department or a sales and marketing department that uh, just simply does not get PR. And therefore, you know, you're going to be running, you're going to be banging your head up, up against the wall time and time again. Uh, and, and that's unfortunate because we could ha- be having wonderful results and a great strategy. But, you know, it's a matter of, uh, you know, finding those suitable clients that are great for you. I have some wonderful ones too. And I think it's, that's key is just, you know, those great clients and those, the ones that get it. Yes. Oh, and the other thing I was going to say is those clients that I've mentioned, they also understand that media stories need conflict. So we never shirk away from conflict. If there's a conflict with anything that we're doing or somebody's, you know, uh, whatever, we actually embrace it and we we acknowledge it. We discuss it. We'll go into the media arena and say, yeah, there's a conflict. We don't try to run away from that. That's the other thing, because, you know, news stories like Tom Walters, I mentioned him earlier, my former news director. I once went to his office and I, I was upset and I said, why, why, is, why does news have to be so negative? And he said, um, he goes, that's the nature of news. We don't cover the planes that land safely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, he said, it's, it has, there has to be conflict. And so I have clients who understand that and are willing to uh, face it head on. That, that, those are my favorite type of clients. Yes, no, I, I I would agree. And I think the other important 
important point is emphasizing helping out media when they need you as a source, even if it's unrelated to your or you, your organization or your project, because you are an industry thought leader and you can provide insight. You know, uh, you can't, you know, not do the media the favor when they need help and then go pitching out your story and, you know, expect them to come running. Right. It's it's a two way street. It's a relationship. Uh, and I always say to clients when media come to us and, and you're appropriate for it and you can comment on it as a thought leader, then let's do that and let's prepare ourselves and, and let's let's help the media out. And uh, they, I find they appreciate that and they remember it. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Um, lots that I could ask. I think we, we could go on forever, obviously, given the fact that we we do this day in and day out. But uh, just moving on to the last few questions, uh, stress in our industry. <laughs> uh, so as with journalism, journalism, from what I understand from many, is extremely stressful, uh, even more so now, I'm sure. Uh, PR is very, very stressful, I find. Uh, I've always found that. It's a real hustle um, and it's a 24-7 job, especially now with digital media running running all the time. Uh, and you really do have to watch your, you know, your health, your mental health, your physical health. How do you manage the stress in your line of work and keep yourself sane and healthy? I hike and I uh, I have a lot of dogs dogs who are in my vicinity <laughs> yes yes your, do- your dogs dog. are my dog. dogs are my whole life I mean I I can't live without dogs they they do something to my insides they just bring me so much relief on my insides I don't know how to explain it I I I, I need dogs around I and so that's the you know and they live in the moment they teach you how to live in the moment that's how I de-stress I love being in the forest I love hiking uh, I love breathing that fresh air. I do some of my best thinking for clients when I'm hiking. I come up with great headlines, actually, when I'm hiking. Uh, I, I think that's and, a great solution. Yeah, it's just a great thing. I'll be like, oh, wow, okay. And I don't ever have my phone in my hand when I'm um, in in nature. But if I come up with a headline or an angle that I think about, I'll pull my phone out of my bag and I'll type it into my phone so I don't forget it. And, um, you know, that's how I de-stress. You have to de-stress. I walk a lot too. I walk a lot. I love walking. Everybody should walk. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. My former business partner who's now retired since 2015 was a phenomenal journalist first uh, and then PR professional Patricia Dunn, uh, amazing human being. We used to walk the yes. wall during our uh, uh, brainstorms with no phones and just kind of talk, talk through things. And I think that's just along the lines of what you're saying. Uh, I lost my dog this year. It's it's the biggest loss I've ever so had. Uh, oh. it, it was tough. And part of it was professional, right? Because he was my, you know, he was my, when things get tough, you know, let's get out for a walk, get some fresh air and, and get our mind right. Yeah. Like, like you say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, true. I'm very sorry for that loss. Thank you very much. I've got I've got a very large uh, picture of him on my leg now. Some people might think I'm crazy, and I think they're crazy for thinking I'm crazy. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rainy, what are a couple of your your top professional goals for the year ahead? Do you are you, are you happy where you are? What would you like to accomplish as you progress in your career? 
I'm I'm happy where I am today, and my goal is to expand uh, my workshops. I want to travel more delivering those workshops. <coughs> Pardon me. Yeah, so my goals are to travel more and deliver those workshops. Switzerland has been an unbelievable experience. It's uh, opened my world to a group of positive female executives who are all dialed in. And I just want to continue to be part of that. It's so rewarding and spiritual and it's so, I don't know how to explain it. It's almost an out of body experience. It's that great. Wow. It's great. And so I just want to keep expanding and traveling and meeting people. And for my part, opening their eyes to uh, uh, looking at their brand differently and their future and, and issues and crisis differently and um, creating that positive mindset, which is part of what I teach in the program is how a positive mindset actually helps you overcome a crisis through crisis. It's it's crazy. People don't think about it, uh, uh, about how to do it starting today. So I'm excited about that part of it. I love watching people uh, change through the session and go, wow, okay, well, I didn't know that. Oh, I can't wait to try that. I can't wait to do that. That makes me so happy. Yes. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, the words are important, obviously, as you've identified, but it's also feeling it right. The body language, the excitement or the empathy and the responsibility kind of really, you know, getting into that, uh, you know, don't underestimate the public for the most part, you know, if you take accountability for something and you're there and you're genuinely feeling that and you have those messages that are accurate and factual um then you know don't under, don't underestimate the public's ability to forgive uh in time sometimes but uh certainly to forgive but i think your tips are are fantastic um Reno, i usually i i end every conversation by asking about my guest's favorite nonprofit one or two uh I know from from seeing that you give back a lot within the community. Uh, you don't show it off, but I, I can see and, you know, I, I'm online and kind of digging around all the time. So that's how I know. Are there one or two mm-hmm. uh, BC nonprofits that are close to your heart that you want people to know about and support if they can that you want to highlight today? Thanks for asking that question. It's important to me to emphasize the law. Largest, the biggest crisis in Canada is hungry kids, hungry children. Mm-hmm. And it, it infuriates me when governments are chasing what they believe are the biggest crises happening in Canada. And they're overlooking things like clean drinking water in communities and hungry children. So I have partnered with the Vancouver Sun um, Children's Fund. I've adopted uh, an elementary school in inner city Nanaimo. And it's a school meals program that we do every day. And we also provide meal cards for families on the weekends. So seven days a week, there's some food. I've been to the school. I visited it. It was uh, heartbreaking to see what's happening. And that's just one school of so many. That's Those are just a few kids. I think at the time I was there, there were 52 kids that come to school hungry. But just think about how many across the country come to school hungry and there's no bigger crisis 
The other big crisis in the animal world is, you know, we have animals in shelters and we have um, animals who don't have the support needed when they require uh, veterinary care. So I give uh, funds every month to the Vancouver Humane Society towards their veterinary fund um, so that they can help animals who need medical care, uh, they can help them with payments. And this is something I've been doing for a few years. A couple of years ago, I did a, a grant match challenge and you know my clients stepped up and came through very quickly. And I just love them for that. And I'm gonna try to do another one this year, but those are my two uh, charities that are really, those are my two BC charities that are very close to my heart. Well, I, I love them both and I'll make sure to highlight them and link to them um, online. Uh, Renu, I want to appreciate and just express my appreciation for your time today. I know uh, how busy you are. Uh, and uh, Renu Bakshi Communications, you can find her online at Renu Bakshi, uh, R-E-N-U-B-A-K. S-H-I, a wonderful human being, very talented, capable, and knowledgeable PR professional who knows her stuff. So uh, I would highly recommend getting in touch with her um, if I'm not around. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> getting in touch with her if you need her support. She's got uh, great services especially in the crisis uh, area and the media training areas. And uh, I just want to thank you for being here today, Renu. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I really appreciate you and everything you do and um, uh, having me on. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Take care. Hope to talk to you very soon. Likewise. Be kind and connect with authenticity. You're listening to Rachel Fexton Connects.